0: or at the web veteransradio.org is our new url veteransradio.org where we're on the web 24 7 you can find a lot of our podcasts there as well we post new ones every tuesday so you can get a new story a new interview something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.org and before we get started we want to thank our sponsors First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans legal help for veterans fights for veterans disability rights all across the nation you can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com we want to welcome to veterans radio today professor jason mazzoni uh, jason welcome to veterans radio
1: Thank you so
0: much jim now let me set this up uh the professor is uh, a professor of law don't get scared off he's a good guy he is the albert e jenner jr professor of law at the university of illinois at urbana champaign and director of the illinois program in constitutional theory history and law and he was brought to our attention by an interesting article in recent article in the army times about who owns the national guard and in a court uh, decision down in Texas that uh, will have some implications on that but I should also say that uh, uh, Professor Mazzoni's he got his undergraduate or master's I guess it was at Stanford University he has his JD his law degree from Harvard Law he also picked up a master's in law at Yale Law School Uh, so he's deep and wide in these legal issues and we're gonna drag him over to the military and veteran side so Jason you ready to give this a try yes I am let's do it so as I said it's an interesting article that caught my attention in the army times and and it was over a lawsuit filed as I understand it uh, by the Texas governor Greg Abbott over his legal fight against the Pentagon's requirement for COVID 19 vaccines and uh, right. he didn't like he didn't want his texas national guard folks to have to comply with the federal requirement and that's sort of the um jump start of this dispute isn't it
1: that's right uh so uh, governor abbott uh, sued the biden administration to block uh, it from Enforcing by punishing members of the uh, Texas Guard uh, this vaccination COVID vaccination requirement, as you as you said, uh, Jim uh, and um, uh, Abbott's position uh, was an interesting position. He said, uh, so long as the Guard uh, has not been mobilized by the federal government, so long as it's not in federal service, uh, the federal government, particularly the, the president as commander in chief, lacks authority under the Constitution. To punish guardsmen uh, for failure to follow uh, a federal order, in this case the vaccination requirement, uh, that uh, under the Constitution that power is reserved to the state, and particularly in this case to the governor, to impose uh, punishment in the form of a fine or a discharge or a court-martial. If you mobilize the, the, the guard, uh, then yes, uh, you, uh, President, uh, can impose a punishment for failure to uh, be vaccinated, but until that happens, uh, and the, the Guard uh, is just under uh, normal uh, state uh, oversight, uh, there's no authority, Abbott said, under the Constitution, uh, for the Commander-in-Chief, the President, uh, to impose any sort of punishment uh, against Guardsmen for uh, failing to comply with a federal uh, directive.
0: So you see how this issue, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's political or social, issue between the governor and the president over something that was controversial the covid vaccines gets in played here and the professor mentioned numerous times it's like it's a constitutional issue who's got the power now we all know uh, anybody who's served and been around the military knows that uh, when you're on active duty it's the president he's the commander-in-chief but the the National Guard in all 50 states uh, really report up to the governor of that state who's in charge and the commander-in-chief and it's more important today than ever as we come off our 20-year war in Afghanistan there's about a million four active duty members in the U.S. military but there are 450,000 active guardsmen in the states so that adds to the strength of the military by about 32 percent and they were all used pretty much uh in Afghanistan so you see that this isn't a small issue it's kind of while it's a little wonky professor it's like a real issue of who's in charge and what did the what did the courts say about this
1: Well, so this um, uh, was filed in federal district court by uh, the governor. The governor lost uh, in uh, federal district court. Um, He then appealed uh, to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is the uh, intermediate federal appellate court. It's one step below the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, And and there, um, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit agreed, um, at least at this stage of the case, it's still in a preliminary uh, stage of the case where Abbott is seeking um, an initial order blocking uh, any punishment against guardsmen. But the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit disagreed uh, with the conclusion of the law court, the district court, uh, and suggested uh, that his view uh, was that Abbott had uh, a quite good uh, legal argument under the Constitution, sent it back down to the district court for it to reassess uh, its prior order with a pretty strong hint uh, that Abbott should prevail at least this, uh, this stage of the case. Uh, where again he's seeking a preliminary order uh, to keep things um, uh, as they are to maintain the status quo to prevent the, uh, the federal government from punishing any members of the Guard while the case uh, proceeds uh, in the federal courts. Uh, and so, you know, where things stand at this point, um, it's before the trial court uh, again, but following this pretty strong suggestion from the court of appeals, the intermediate uh, uh, appellate court in the federal system, that Abbott's claim um, has uh, has some, some real merit, um, that, uh, that the president, uh, the Department of Defense, uh, lacks authority, um, until guardsmen are actually mobilized to discharge them, uh, or to court-martial them, or to fine them, uh, or to do anything else by way of by way of punishment. And the the circuit court's reasoning uh, was based upon these old provisions of the Constitution that don't say anything about the national Guard, because there was no such thing when the Constitution right. was right. drafted, but they refer to the the militia uh, and uh, and who um, who controls and has power over the the militia under the original Constitution. The court took the view uh, that the guard uh, is uh, equivalent to the uh, old uh, militia, and so those militia provisions of the Constitution that divide power between the national government and the states that they apply uh, to uh, to to the guard. Uh, today uh, in the same way that they applied to to the militia. And uh, the circuit court said, you know, if we look at these provisions, yes, uh, uh, the federal government has certain powers, but it said the power um, to provide for governing uh, the militia uh, only belongs to the national government when uh, guardsmen are in federal service. And the power to govern includes the power to punish. Uh, And so a kind of straight-up, plain reading of the text of the Constitution, the Circuit Court said, uh, means that until there is mobilization uh, of uh, uh, guardsmen, um, in the same way uh, as would have been true with respect to the militia, the power to impose punishment is one uh, that uh, belongs to the state. If you want to punish, you have to wait, federal government, uh, until you've actually called the guard or a historical case the militia into federal service, that's what the Constitution says.
0: Well and that's the issue that kind of dragged Professor into this from the University Oh, this
1: of- is great stuff. I mean, this is, you know, this, this, you know... So you might think, oh, this is a kind of specialized issue uh, t- today, but historically, uh, you know, control over the militia, this is one of the biggest issues of the Philadelphia Convention, right? This sort of um, uh, concern about uh, uh, national security and how you're going to uh, make sure that you have sufficient uh, security personnel, kind of concern about a large standing Army, and so instead of that, we'll allow the national government to deploy the militia in certain circumstances. But we're concerned about that because the militia is really an entity under state governmental and local governmental control. So we have to be very careful uh, about the circumstances un- under which we're going to allow the national government to exercise authority uh, over those old militia forces. And this is the kind of compromise that has worked out at the Constitutional Convention, you know, 1787. Uh, uh, gets adopted as part of the Constitution uh, within the next two years, and here we are today. You know, talking about uh, essentially the same the same question, but in the context of COVID vaccines, which of course nobody had thought about uh, in, in the 17, in the 1780s, but really raising the same basic question: uh, Who gets to decide? Who's in charge? Um, and uh, here the court says, "Well, the Constitution tells you."
0: Well, and and it is relevant today, and that's kind of why the article caught my attention and i wanted to talk to uh, professor mazzoni who who has researched and written a lot on this issue of the uh, militia clause that was quoted by the court which is always a nice thing you know makes you feel good that somebody (laughs) thought your work was i
1: I, I live i live for that i mean that's what law professors live for yes
0: but it's relevant today not only because of this covid uh, dispute but those of us who've been around for a while can think back when we were required to take the anthrax vaccine right and there was a lot of dispute about hey i'm not going over there why am i taking this and i can project it forward uh by saying we have a lot of states that allow marijuana use and both medically and recreationally but the federal government doesn't so how who gets to decide whether somebody gets uh, disciplined because they test positive for marijuana and right so there there's a this issue is going to go on for a while
1: but but that's right and you know most of the time um, as you said at the outset um, we uh, you know the federal government and uh, and the states, the president, and the governor are basically on the same page. Um, but the issues emerge when they're not, um, when uh, the governor of a state, uh, as here with respect to uh, Governor Abbott, uh, thinks that there's a kind of punishment being uh, imposed that is uh, unwarranted. Um, so that's really where the, these sorts of issues can emerge. And when they do emerge, uh, they can be uh, really important. I mean, this question of whether uh, the federal government can actually impose this directive uh, against uh, uh, militiamen who uh, or, or National Guardsmen uh, who are not yet in federal service for failure to do what, failure to obtain a COVID vaccine, um, uh, an issue as to which there was, of course, uh, a great deal of, of, of
0: controversy. And the government argued in this case, as I understand it, at the Fifth Circuit, um, "Hey, we, the federal government, give these national, state, national guard troops plenty of money and plenty of training when they're not federalized, and therefore, because we give the money, we get to control the the strings that go with it." it, it I'm sure that's an oversimplification, but wasn't that the basic argument?
1: That you're, that, that's absolutely right. Um, the so, uh, the government had, had several arguments, but one of the arguments, as you, as you point out, Jim, uh, is, uh, look, um, we are, we're paying for this, right? Um, uh, yes, we understand the distinction between uh, uh, guardsmen who have not uh, been, been mobilized and those who, who have, uh, and uh, we certainly understand that as a distinction. Uh, but even uh, when uh, guardsmen are not yet uh, in federal service, um, they're being uh, supported significantly through federal dollars Uh, and if we're paying um, you know we should be able to call the tune Uh, and um, as a condition uh, of you state receiving this money uh, for your national guard we are attaching this requirement that that they be uh, vaccinated and the the circuit court said uh well um uh uh, uh, there are lots of circumstances in which the federal government uh, can give out money uh, to states and attach various sorts of conditions to those, uh, to those grants. We see this a lot in the context of education and so on, uh, uh, where the federal government makes um, uh, financial uh, grants to states and says, if you want the money, here's what you've got to do in return. But the circuit court said uh, that condition, though, that is attached cannot be a violation of the Constitution. And here, the government is essentially saying um, to the states, you must do something um, that uh, uh, itself uh, is not permitted under the Constitution. Uh, and so uh, that's a limit on the ability of the federal government to uh, impose uh, conditions upon upon federal grants. You cannot require uh, militiamen uh, to be vaccinated unless they're, uh, I'm sorry, guardsmen to be vaccinated unless they're in federal service. Uh, and you cannot impose that as a condition on a grant either uh, because you can't force the states to agree to things that violate the Constitution as a condition of receiving money and so the government lost on that point as well
0: so there's a uh, veteran radio listeners uh, professor jason mazoni of the university of illinois just gave you the synopsis of the first year of constitutional law and a very expensive education you can't put conditions on that violate the constitution seems simple when you say it like that
1: it's a uh, it's, it's a basic principle um, you don't get to you don't get to bribe uh, people um, uh, to get around constitutional limits
0: now it, it, I'm gonna back up a little bit because this is a, such a unique little uh, area but um, how the heck did you get so interested in the militia clause and research and writing it that you find your way into the Fifth Circuit uh, uh, opinions
1: <laughs> I've always been interested in the security elements of the Constitution. Um, you know, when, when when we teach constitutional law, uh, as we do to first-year students, spend a lot of time talking about government powers and individual rights and so on. Um, and it struck me when I first started teaching that, a, a, a large theme uh, of the Constitution is national security. If you sort of think about a dominant theme um, in the document, uh, that's what it is. Um, that there are provisions throughout the Constitution that um, anticipate uh, that there will be national security problems on the horizon, uh, and, um, uh, and 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 provide for some kind of effective response uh, to uh, to that. Uh, today, of course, you know we we, we don't often uh, think about the. Country uh being at risk of being invaded and um, uh, or, or or subject to uh, internal insurrections uh, and other kinds of uh, other kinds of uh, uh, security challenges, but for Americans of the 1780s, this was the thing that they thought a lot about: um, uh, uh, invasion um, uh, or uh, uh, individuals in the country who were waiting to topple the government. Uh, and they built a constitution that uh, anticipated that there would be national security challenges and and, uh, and anticipated the need to have uh, an effective response to them. And central uh, to the design uh, that was created it was, as I said said uh, uh, earlier this division of authority over the m- militia uh, in a context in which um, you had minimal professional soldiers uh, and there was a general concern about a large standing uh, army the militia was supposed to be your principal fighting uh, force and so there are lots of provisions throughout the Constitution that deal with this issue of the role of the militia uh, in uh, uh, with respect to national security um, and the more important question of who gets to uh, who gets to direct the activities uh, of the of the militia so this is a big theme uh, of the original Constitution and in some ways uh, it captures many of the uh, concerns uh, that were in Play at the time the Constitution is adopted. Concerns about division of power between the national government and the state, uh, Questions about the role uh, of ordinary Americans because that's essentially what the militia uh, was uh, in um, uh, in security operations and in the operations of government uh, more 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 generally. Um, and so these are sort of old provisions that were very important in 1780s um, and as which I think you can learn a great deal about the Constitution in in, in general if you're going to dust them off. Uh, and, uh, and and think about um, and, and think about them, and then occasionally you get an exciting case like the one out of the Fifth <laughs> Circuit that actually talks about the militia, which you know it's kind of unheard of. There are very few cases uh, in which that you get an extensive uh, historical uh, discussion. So these things that you sometimes think uh, are no longer relevant uh, can actually, as here, uh, turn out to be uh, incredibly uh, important still.
0: So somebody out there is thinking, and certainly the government attorneys did that said hey the, the constitution talks about a militia it has it has nothing to do with the national guard it doesn't look like the national guard it's a totally different concept you, you can't take that archaic idea from the 1780s and bring it forward uh, wh- what say you professor
1: I think you know. I think there's a there's something really to be said about about that. There are uh, real differences between uh, the old uh, militia and the national guard. I mean, the the old militia, sort of the true historical sense, was every uh, uh, adult male citizen. Right, that was the. That was the idea. Um, the National Guard is, of course, uh, entirely uh, voluntary and it's a, a subset of the uh, of the population. Uh, the militia was organized as a, a local uh, institution uh, under the authority of the state. The National Guard, I think, is much more integrated into the federal military structure uh, than the militia uh, ever was, or that anybody thinking about the the militia ever thought that it that it would be. Uh, the national government pays for the National Guard in a way that wasn't true. Uh, of the militia Uh, so I think there's a lot uh, there's a lot to that I think that equating the old militia with the National Guard um, is not um, is not um, a a slam dunk but 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 here's what what, what's happening in the background the National Guard itself says uh, we um, are the modern version of the militia if you look at the Army National Guard uh, website it says we were founded in 1636 right in the Massachusetts Bay Colony where the first militia regiments were were created to defend the colony against attacks by uh, Indians and we've been in place ever since Um, so that's the view of the National Guard Um, uh, and um, it turns out to have been the view of the Biden administration in this case uh, when the administration is sued by Governor Abbott it says uh, to the courts in this case apply those provisions uh, in the Constitution that talk about the militia because that's what the National Guard is. Um, uh, And so, you know, once you kind of cross that uh, uh, bridge, well, then you're into the old restrictions that were in place with respect to federal authority uh, over the militia. So this is not an issue that was ever debated um, or disputed between the parties in this particular case, uh, which is the the reason that there's so much attention uh, in the decision of the Fifth Circuit to the meaning of those old militia clauses of the Constitution, because everybody involved in the case says. The National Guard um, uh, is what uh, the Constitution is referring to when it says militia.
0: Be careful what you ask for. You may just get it. So,
1: Yeah, I wonder whether they regret you know, conceding that uh, or not disputing it. Um, but, you know, they, it's hard to do that if you're the government um, uh, and the National Guard uh, on its own website says we are the militia.
0: Yeah. So here's the uh, $64,000 question that I'd only ask because you're the... Uh, Albert E. Jenner, Jr., professor of law at the University of Illinois at Ur- Urbana-Champaign, which is, how does this play out?
1: Well, it's it's back in the federal district court, which is the trial court. We'll see what it does with a sort of strong hint uh, from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit to, uh, to issue a ruling in favor um, of Governor uh, Abbott blocking any sort of punishment, um, uh, imposed uh, by the national government on, on Guardsmen for failure to obtain uh, the COVID uh, vaccination. Um, so then the question is, what happens uh, What happens after after that? Does it make, it, uh, will does the it Biden make its way to go to the
0: U.S. Supreme right, Court? That's the question. Does it end up um, either way? Does somebody say, well, the Supreme Court's got to answer this?
1: Right, Um, uh, and ordinarily, you know, the Supreme Court um, is unusual uh, among our courts in that it gets to decide which cases it wants to hear. Ordinarily, though, uh, if you have a circuit court the intermediate appellate court invalidating something that the federal government is trying to do um, that's generally a case that the u.s supreme court is interested in taking and we have on the supreme court a lot of people who are very interested in constitutional history so they might just take it for the fun of it
0: (laughs) there you go only a law professor would see the fun of it we jason mazzoni uh, professor of law we really appreciate you taking the time to help us understand the controversy of who's really in charge of the National Guard and who gets to set those kind of rules. Um, As this continues on, I'm sure we'll be talking again. But again, thanks for your time today, Jason. My pleasure, Jim. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a Veterans Disability Lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800 693-4800 693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and internet radio shows by visiting us at veteransradio.org. That's veteransradio.org. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at one 800 693 Four They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara, Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corps Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time, you are dismissed